Many thanks for downloading the Fantasy Animation Podcast, brought to you by fantasy-animation.org. If you like what you hear and want to know where the fantasy animation story began, the book Fantasy Animation, Connections Between Media, Mediums and Genres is still available from all great bookshops and online stockists. Read chapters on topics from German Expressionism to Japanese anime, from Disney to Pixar, and from Game of Thrones to How to Drain Your Dragon. The book normally comes in at between 20 and 50 pounds, but if you've got some spare change or are in charge of making requests to institutional libraries, fantasy animation might just be the book for you. Think of it as the podcast, but in written form. But for now, please do enjoy the show. Call you dad, if you insist, sir. With this candle, I will light your way in darkness. With this ring, I ask you to be mine. Hello listeners, us again at the Fantasy Animation Podcast. I am of course Chris Holiday. I'm of course Alex Sargent and welcome to a particularly ghoulish episode. I was going to say it's, it's Halloween, Alex. Happy yeah. Halloween. Happy, happy, happy Halloween. It's love to have the, the, uh, the jack-o'-lanterns out and the, uh, the, uh, the cobwebs. Um, okay, I'll level with you. It's, it's, it's May. It's um, early May as well. It's early May, um, but happy Halloween to you listeners out there. Welcome to the Halloween special. We'll be talking about Court's Bride um, with our very special guest. Uh, Emily Mantell, who is the head of animation at the University of Wolverhampton, uh, who in a previous spooky life uh, worked on timber and stop motion feature uh, Corpse Bride as a storyboard staff assistant. Um, and Emily's also been part of numerous projects uh, as an animator. Uh, and she currently teaches at Wolverhampton, uh, which is kind of focused on, uh, and let me get this right, character animation, character development and character sculpting. So Emily, thank you for joining us in early May for this Halloween special. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, so yes, normally when we have guests and, and special guests, we ask about... Um, um, why they chose the film, but I think in this case it's sort of self-evident. You yes. worked, you worked on Corpse Bride. So I guess as a as a starter for ten, how did you um, kind of get involved in the project? What was that sort of journey like? Obviously, you had a background in animation, or maybe you didn't have a background in animation. So I'm just interested in that sort of yeah, journey yeah. into the into the film. Okay, yeah, no, well, uh, I got well, I did a BA in animation at the Surrey Institute of Art and Design, and then I did um, uh, a year's work experience um, at, at Sherbet Animation in in London um, as a runner, and then I did my um, MA at the RCA, and it was there that in the second year of um, the MA we had an interim show, and I was working on a film, my graduation film at the time, which is about women who have penises as pets of course um, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. We've, all, we've all been there <laughs> it's, it's called to have and to hold anyway so yeah, yeah. it's just okay. a, sh- a really short concept animation it's not actually well drawn really but um it's very quick just to sort of glimpse this world that was so your I, grad project that was it that right? was my grad project okay, yeah cool. i literally just i've been in three months in japan because i did this scholarship so i've been living in japan for three months and then i came back to the uk and had to catch up with everyone else who was nearly finished on their films right and uh, so i so i made this willy film it's known as the willy film excellent <laughs> and um um so I was showing the in the interim show there were lots of pictures of women walking their penis pets yeah. um, on the wall and these people were photographing them so I went up to them and I said why are you photographing my work yeah why are you photographing my work and as it was a concept piece it was important that the idea didn't sort of go out there I wanted it to be a surprise yeah and um, I can't remember really remember what they said but they sort of sort of fluffed me off if you like it and um, and I said no really I'd had a couple of beers actually <laughs> 
And I said, no, really, why are you photographing my work? And then it turned out they were the producers of Corpse Bride. Oh, wow. And um, <clears throat> so, I, of course, <laughs> I changed my mm. tact yeah. and started... Like it, you would drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. As many photographs as you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And uh, so... Uh, they said actually they really really like my drawing style and would I be interested in coming for an interview um, to because they were crewing up for Corpse Bride right and so I did and the next week I went and I um, had a uh, interview um, which I totally fluffed up again right. I, I'm not very good at interviewing I get very nervous and um, but hey how I got the job great after an embarrassing interview and yeah, obviously didn't fluff it up too much then, <laughs> no no yeah. uh, and um, and then I, I that's how I started. Yeah. So did you know what Corpse Bride was when you these people were taking photos? No idea. I just knew there was a new Tim Burton film being made okay. and uh, and it was happening in the UK and we had been pre-warned that the producers might turn up to the show, but yeah. they were so unassuming in their sort of dress and their character. You were, I was expecting sort of American people in suits, you know, to turn up, but yeah. these guys, you know, weren't like that mm. so. so you said about your draw that you're they're interested in your drawing style yeah um so and i think in the introduction i gave a very kind of um uh, broad i guess painted with a very broad brush the storyboard staff assistant now is that correct i mean what does what does that entail what was your job uh yeah so you you turn up at corpse bride hq yeah day one um how does it work had the production started Were you no no it was, it was early doors okay. so um literally i was one of the first um crew members because obviously being in the story department you've got to do all the storyboarding so yep. there were no um there were a few animators bobbling about but just for animation testing okay so it was really early days and so i was basically put in a room or been given a room yeah. that just had my computer in it and I think Neil Ross had a computer in it he was a concept artist so it's just for a while there he there was Neil Ross and I and basically and Neil Ross wasn't always in so it was just me a lot and I had to basically start setting things up for all the um the board artists to arrive so every time a new artist arrived I sort of set them up and and my job at, was basically to take all their boards and adapt them and make them ready for the um editing department let's say one of the artists has uh, sequenced uh, boarded a whole sequence and the director likes it but actually he wants a couple of blinks here and an odd movement there right and actually maybe just even you know a character moved across the screen slightly so it's better sort of composition or whatever yep then rather than the board artist redrawing that i would just take it to photoshop adjust it all and then that would be done so just, just like so a, these are hand drawn boards, or, or these are yeah, hand drawn boards, boards. Yeah, that then is, go into the computer. That's right. Yes, and you are managing that, and and then I was managing it. that, and then ad adjusting them accordingly, and and then yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, so I'm again classic uh, fantasy scholar animation luddite. So there's a group of people all drawing. Yes, various fran frantically. Yeah. They're, frantically. Off, they're off drawing different scenes, different things. They come yeah. to you, and your job is to standardize them. To you know, fit so, them together to... So, I mean, on the sort of boring admin side of things, you would have to number them all. So okay. you literally have to print out labels and stick numbers on them because, you and know, how, there's so many of How them. many are we talking here? Oh, thousands and thousands. Right, okay. Um, yeah, that's... So they have... So each <laughs> each each um, uh, scene in a film has a code number and then each sequence within a scene has another code number and so it just becomes this long line of numbers on the bottom of a drawing that you understand. Now, if, a, if you've got sort of drawing one here and drawing two here, massive long sequence num numbers, remember, and they decide they want another three drawings in between those, then the sequencing becomes quite complicated. But it's really important because you've got to hand that over to editing mm -hmm. who have to have everything in the right sequence order. So it can it 
technically that it's very boring, like I say, admin stuff, but it's really important that things don't go wrong. And you're working on particular, so, and this is my my ignorance, are these particular sequences one at a time? Are they, is this the whole movie or are there lots of different versions of this process happening at different? Well, that's right. So, um, no two board artists would necessarily board the same scene at the same time right. because that would be bonkers. Also, there's a sense of ownership, I think, over a scene and a sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people are good at like the comedy, um, slapsticky bits, right, and right. some people are good at the sort of romantic, slower bits or drama. So people are sort of given scenes to break down from the script as according to their talents, more yeah. as well. Not not strictly, but it, you know, it tends to go that way a bit. Yeah. And, and obviously, um, and this is fast forwarding, I think, a little bit, you're obviously interested in character animation. I, I am, yeah. yeah. And so Especially I'm, now, you know, teaching and things. Yeah, and so I'm, so I'm wondering, um, because, you know, I think on, on, on previous, I think the creativity, some people are focusing, I guess, on backgrounds, on kind of broader landscape. But this is, when we say characters, you're interested in particular and you said with the storyboards that characters can be moved across. So you're interested in what elements of performance, you know, the the animator's performer. So yeah. Yeah. No, I I mean the whole process from, um, from script to uh, screen in animation for me is really, really, really interesting. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm really interested in the whole, you know, the script is the top of the iceberg and then underneath you've got this multitude of talents sort of feeding into the beast that then, of course, the script gets rewritten at the end. But the... Handy. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and sort of called original yeah. um, as, as it was originally. But so if you've got a script and you might just have a very small, small one-liner about a character, um, you know, cries in a scene, let's say. So then the board artist has to take that character, take the motivations of the character, understand the character, perhaps even more than the scriptwriter did right, in the right. first place, because they've got to kind of imagine it and perform it in their mind then to be able to draw it. On top of that, they're trying to think of all the sort of composition of shots and whether that's an important beat in the story. Um, so they're kind of these key drawings, and they are key drawings in animation because um, animatics and storyboards in animation are much more detailed than obviously live action. So your key drawing so when you play the animatic um in the dailies or the Mm -hmm. weeklies you're literally uh you can't see me but you're literally doing key frames yeah yeah, yeah. that sort of look almost animated when you press play um so it's a lot of work from the boulders um so they are thinking about that performance and so they're the beginning of that character performance and then of course you pass the balls the animatic onto the actual animators yeah who then adds their performance to it too. And they may have, mm-hmm. so they'll have the boards from the board artists and they'll have perhaps maybe even a video of the voice artist. And they've got to try and then sort of amalgamate the yeah. two or come up with something original themselves. And animators, of course, record their own performances as well. So they were constantly recording. Yeah. You know, that's what our students do. We're constantly recording different performances, what works yeah. best, why, how. You know, on top of the table, under the table, beside the table, why? You know, it's always sort of performance analysis. So then, um, so then, so the animators got their own performance, the the voice artist performance, and the board artist performance, and then the director's mm-hmm. opinion. So it's, it's really hard. So, so your job on the on Courtsbride is to collect, is somehow provide an overseeing uh, voice, overseeing glance over all these thousands of different drawings going on in different places with different artists 
and to collate them together, organise them so that everyone can know which where every bit is and present some sort of coherent That's that, yeah. film to the creative team that yeah, go, this so is it in draw storytelling form. Yeah, that's it. So I suppose form. the job evolved, evolved from being um, story assistant to being sort of story coordinator because obviously you're liaising with editing all the time, you're li- liaising with the art department all the time, the director... Um, you're, you know, basically managing the story department as well as going into meetings and suggesting story changes. So they're the bits I really liked. So mm-hmm. sort of, uh, I enjoyed the admin side of it, but um, the sort of where you get oh, to sure. get to suggest scene changes or major story changes or gags or. Uh-huh. So what on earth is a story assistant then? Because. In my head, we have a script and then we visualise the script. Obviously, I'm I'm aware that that is nonsense. So what is the reality? So I suppose on an assistant, as in any any assistant in any job in any land, is someone who might do sort of more menial admin tasks. And then someone who is a coordinator is more sort of management of the system, if Uh you like. So that's what I mean when I sort of evolve my job, evolve Uh, from just being their assistant and adjusting their drawings and things to actually sort of managing how it all sort of goes i was never the the boss of the story that you no, know no i sure uh, in fact um uh jeff Lee, jeff lynch jeff Lee, i can't remember his name all oh, the head of story he's he's on as the head of story um credited as the head of story right so he came in for a few months as the head of story but that was when we were in story trouble and we needed some big fixes um but otherwise, the director's the head of story, always the head of story. So you're assisting the head of story or consulting Absolutely. with the Absolutely, that's head right. Of story. So we all are. So all the board artists, you go into a meeting, a story meeting, mm. and Jeff would say, okay, we're in big trouble. Like, we need to fix this bit and we need to change that bit. How, how can we, can everyone think about that? And you, you either go away and think about it and you've got an opportunity to make some major changes in the film, which is really nice. Or you just sort of slam it out in the meeting for sort of two hours going, what about this? What about that? And then the more you do that, that's the good bit. Because the yeah. more you go, what about if Corpse Bride does this? And then someone goes, oh, hold on. So if she does that, what, you know, why wouldn't she do this? And so mm. that collaboration and that energy is amazing. So, so how do you work out? through this process if a story's in trouble or not because when you press play on the animatic <laughs> uh, and yeah you you just kind of know you know it's it's dead in the water or it's just failing in certain areas it's or fundamentally there's so the answer and the animatic so I, I mean my mind i think in terms of performance my mind's racing because i'm thinking about uh, obviously i think a lot of uh, and we've talked about this before the way the, the voice artist is the the center or the locus of performance the star uh-huh, voice yeah. but given that we've managed to spend a decent amount of time talking about the component parts of a performance mm-hmm. and this idea. I never really thought about the storyboard artist as performers. Um, then you have the animators, obviously, and you said about the adap- adaptation of boards as well. Yeah. Um, so obviously performance is this through line that's traceable from yeah. a line of dialogue and the script right the way. Th- and, and in many ways, I suppose the voice artist is just, is one small and it makes more obvious sense to think that they're one small component of what is oh, this. They, yeah, yeah, and it's actually a little bit of a bugbear of mine that... They're, they're sort of you have to have the celebrities in to help sell the movie, obviously, and they're good. Their performances are, of course, good. And Corpse Bride is is no di- in terms of you know the yeah, voice artists, but and... they they get so much credit. You know, there's so much credit given to the performer, the the voice artists, yeah. and you know, you sort of they came in for a day or maybe a week, recorded the voice, what, what, which yeah, is great. Yeah, a week and spread then the, across, and then the animators worked for another two years and 
and barely get any credit. Yeah. <laughs> I find that totally mm. bonkers. And, and actually, so an, an animatic, just for, um, not my benefit, as I know, but for Alex's for benefit. For Alex's benefit, benefit think, certainly. Yeah, so the, the, an animatic, so you have you have storyboard artists that are drawing the storyboards. Right. Um, and so an animatic is... Okay, so uh, so once you've got storyboards, yep. or in this case, you know, something further than storyboards, which is virtually keyframed in, in some instances, like yep. Corpse Bride was... So you put that all in sequence yeah. um, to a uh, temporary soundtrack, right? Um, right. And Is that including the voice, Tem- including the voices, a, a absolutely. Temporary voice yeah. Track. So I, I was the voice for uh, Victoria okay. on the temporary voice track, which was great, you know. Okay. To, and um, we all got to do a voice, and it's really nice, enjoyable part yeah, of the yeah. job. Be to a, do that. Be a performer, mm-hmm. absolutely, yeah. yeah. And um, so, uh, so that's all edited together and timed out properly with all the performances and the sound. Okay, so timing's the key thing. Timing is absolutely. Okay. So then you you'll take your um, you'll take that and you'll screen that, and the director will review it, and the editor, you know, everybody sort of um, the heads of departments um, get to review that and yeah. change it. So it looks like the the final film. So basically, yeah. you've got a final film. You you're not really supposed to animate before your animatic is finished. But of course, because of the nature... Yeah, I can see piece. where this is going, yeah, yeah. Of course, you start animating scenes that are sort of greenlit and, and locked down. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, you experience the movie in sort of clunky 2D, non-coloured okay. animation before... And, and that is, I guess, in a live-action equivalent of the table read, is it, or something? Because you've got a script at the start. It sounds like this is a really fundamental process for shaping the story. This yes. is where you all go, right, actually... Act three doesn't work at all. We're going to have to scrap that. it. And it happens all the time. So you'll right. just get literally thousands of boards and ideas and months and months of work scrapped, of course, because it doesn't work. Okay. And, you know, and I suppose, so what happens is you, so especially with Tim Burton, because he's a celebrity and a, a brand in his own right, that he he gets the funding before the story is perfect. Um, and he's obviously got great concepts. You know, Corpus Bride is a great concept. Um, the Nightmare Before Christmas is a great concept. Yeah. And the studios just trust him that, of course, that will turn out well. So he gets the the film gets funded and greenlit before um, before the story is locked down. So you we were working from three scripts at one point, and uh, so the story team have a massive massive input on that. And Burkus, the baddie character in Corpus Bride, mm. was quite a late you know, um, part of the story change. And he kind of, you know, that he, some major things that he does in the film really changed it and fixed it. Um, it's really, it's really, I, I, you know, it's really fascinating because, you know, as, as I say, like, it's interesting that you, that it's, this process is what is needed yeah. so that you can understand whether the script's any good or not. Or, or is the script, like, the script is, you know, it'd be the, you know, the live action film would be like, I don't know, getting some actors in and performing the whole film in front of you. You could do that. Like I mean, that. I, but, but, but from my understanding, they don't do that, right? So it's such a great process to yeah. go through because it yeah. creates this moment um, or this, this, you can feel the alchemy in the room, right? Of, of I think that's works, traditionally, you know, if you think about how um, Disney used to work, mm-hmm. it's exactly the same thing. They didn't even have a script most yeah. of the time because mm-hmm. they were working from existing fairy tales. They just went straight, you know, sort of okay. forget the script, let's go straight into the story team and everyone's boarding up ideas. Yeah. You know, is this a funny scene? Is this a dramatic scene? Does it work together as a whole? And then, you know, you can sort of fake a script at the end. Yeah. <laughs> the way you said, I mean, when you said fairy tale, again, your eyes lit oh, up. Because, yeah, but that's yeah, really yeah. interesting that the sort that, that puts, I suppose that, that makes me think of 
or, or puts a different spin on the way that the Disney animation animated features begin with the storybook. It's not just <laughs> a playful like no, yeah. once upon a time. It's like well, this is your script. <laughs> yeah, basically. This is we, just... we, we've talked about this before on the podcast. Where actually those those sort of right back on our first podcast we did on Snow White that storybook opening makes you feel like the rest of the movie is sort of a big illustration of, of book. some book that exists already which is when, kind of true yeah. which is kind of true but at the same time the way you're telling me about this process it's, very, it's not like that at all in that the script is always this working you know the it's, script never exists you just not sort of... really no and that's that's something I'm, I'm sort of writing about at the moment it's this um, well an amalgamation of stuff but it's exactly when you say at the that. moment you mean Halloween Sorry, yes, sorry, yes, yes, yes. Um, yes. Yeah. October right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right now, whilst we bomb for apples in the corner. <laughs> yeah. um, but the, the whole idea that, so one of the jobs I left before my, my before I left Corpse Bride was to update the script. You know, yeah. so you sort of, you're cataloguing all these changes. So every time the ball department change wow. something and something's rewritten and you write a bit of dialogue, then that has to go into the script. Yeah. And, or, and at the same time, the, the, the script writers might be sending over a couple of new pages. So the script becomes this document with, you know, lots of tags and spare pages and new parts. And you've got to have a sort of coding system to understand what's old, what's new. And then someone has to re... I mean, I'm going to do that awful thing by connecting up to the narrative of Corpse Bride. This is like this yeah. kind of split between two worlds of stuff goes on underground and stuff yeah. goes on above. And, and, the, 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 and in the script terms, that these worlds are colliding and you're getting this kind of reciprocal yeah. flow of information where the storyboard is shaping the script and you're having to update and, and kind of, I don't know, reshape the script. Absolutely. Whilst the script is itself this thing that's moving and changing and informing storyboards. Yeah. And so I, I, I think for like the subtitle for this episode should be Corpse Bride and then like the script doesn't exist because mm. that's a really interesting... Kind yeah. of, I, I mean, of, no, 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 of I, course I, it does exist, <laughs> as a, a, but, but it's obviously a very fluid and malleable product. That's, yeah, I think the script that's very... isn't the storybook to illustrate, it's actually the document of what's happened already almost. It's a retrospective document. I, yeah, I it. believe so. so. And um, I think people are really starting, in academic worlds, they're really starting yeah. to write about that now. And Paul Wells has written something in analysing the screenplay. Mm. He's written a section in that book that sort of talks about how difficult the ownership or authorship yes. of a script is because there are so many people involved and of course if you win an Oscar or whatever for best screenplay yeah. let's say on an animation well that happens actually but if you did um, you would wonder you know the author I imagine similar arguments are being made so um, around the storyboard so Chris Pallant's work on, on storyboarding a kind of critical history these it's really important to preserve these storyboards because they're, they are visualisations of, um, of the film but they're also visualisations of labour and process and all this yeah. sort of like the archiving it tells us a lot about the journey of the that classic journey that these films make from script to screen yeah. um that is a lot more kind of chaotic it tells us about these kind of false starts yeah um roadblocks dead ends all that sort of stuff it seems like yeah and so it's kind of i know i know this is um yeah we've managed to talk an awful lot about before the even film has started but i like that symmetry between the kind of chaos unproductive chaos it seems to be of a film like corpse bride and you mentioned like we're, we're in trouble how do we solve problem yeah. solve that kind of thing yeah. uh, and a film itself that is sort of you know about <laughs> identity and an identity in yeah. flux and there's kind of, kind of something quite nice about that yeah that kind of no I, I totally agree and identity in flux is something to sort of grab hold of really because um i think even tim burton in one of the books I've read that he's sort of reflected on Corpus Bride he says that it he didn't know 
it was really hard to figure out whose story it was. Like, was it Victor's? Was it Corpse Bride? Or right. was it Victoria's? And, you know, there was this sort of triangle of characters and whose story was it? To me, it was always Corpse Bride's story. But yeah. there are people in, you know... Yeah, so certainly the Victor uh, figure seems sort of the, you know, you, you want, it's very tricksy perhaps, but tempting to read him as a sort of Burton, yeah. as, as a Burton surrogate, right? Which always makes, okay, this is Burton's film, you know, so where's, but I see what you mean, when I was watching it, I was aware of that tension of like, okay, so who's, whose story is this? Because obviously the first 20 minutes is very much Victor's or Victor and Victoria's yeah. love story, and then it spins it on its head and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah interesting. Yeah. Um, so so just, just go back to the story. So we've we've got to the point where we're screening um, what we've been working on, these thousands of, of, of um, storyboards put together, and you said there were some, like, that required some changes. So what happened yes. on that fateful day that changed the film? Uh, oh, no, no, many is? fateful days. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. all right, fine. It's just, on many it's, fateful days. No, but it's, it's just, yeah. I mean, anyone, I mean, I, anyone who knows who's worked in story teams just knows it's part of the job that the story will change yeah. and you know whatever direction it takes you sort of go with the flow and you might suggest those changes you might like I say they might be major story changes or they might be minor and um you might not always agree with the story direction but you know your job is of course mm -hmm. to help complete the vision um so I like that so what, what, completing so the vision. Are there, yeah. are, are there any sort of juicy tidbits of, that you'd be prepared to share of like, you know, the difference between what it looked like when you first came on and what it looks like now? Any major <laughs> Do you know, I was trying things? to remember, um, but I remember, uh, so, okay, so... There, I was, Give us the gossip. No, but no, <laughs> I mean, it's just simple things. So um, originally, the we were sort of storyboarding up, I was storyboarding up and other people storyboarded up. The Corpse Bride was originally going to um, go into the forest and transform. Um, but then because of the sort of big story changes that, that had to happen at the end in the church right? and yep. she, sort of after she had sort of come to terms with herself and her, uh -huh. her, her identity and things, she had to sort of hmm. be courageous and hand over to Victoria and, and Victor and then therefore her soul was released, if you like. So that became much stronger. But originally it was sort of, I remember storyboarding, you know, concepting. I was more sort of concepting because the other boy, the the other boarders were obviously much stronger and much more experienced. I mean, I was literally working with some of the best people in the UK, so me as a graduate was <laughs> quite intimidated. You know, yeah. so I was like only ever sort of um, concepting up sort of scenes, and they were worked up to okay. a better standard for the animatic later. Okay. Yeah. So yes, originally I. It was that she the the um, bouquet was going to be symbolic and going back into where she'd come from, you know, back into the hole in the ground, and so that's one example. Yeah, okay. and that quite a shift in the setting for the final act and all this yeah. kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah, and then the Burkus thing, him sort of ending up being the murderer of Corpse Bride yeah. originally. That wasn't there originally. Oh, that, right. That was a major change. Ah, uh, because you said so, that the villain was this sort of addition right later yes, in the day. Yes, so um, that was when uh, Jeff came over. Um, from the states. And so this is Richard E. Grant's character. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Who voices, yes. Who voices so he the that sort of gave him that super baddie edge and the whole yeah. sort of poisoning and things. Okay. And what was that? In what was what was that fixing? Why why did that need to yeah, be created? I, I genuinely can't remember. Yeah, okay. And because as the script's being updated, so it was on the on Corpse Bride for two years, the script is constantly being updated. So you're always reading the latest version. So whether it's contributions from the story team or the script writers, but you have to hand your old script back. 
So it's not like you, to get the new one, you have to hand the old one back. Right. right. So you can, I would love to, to, so, yeah, I'd love to compare it because all you've got is your sort of fading memory. And it was 16 years ago. Alex, I'm just going to uh, pause the podcast as we normally do at this juncture um, and actually do a callback to a previous interruption where we advertised our new fantasy animation screening series, uh, which is going to be taking place at the Cinema Museum. Okay, so is this a callback advertising our advertisement for this? Yes, if, if, <laughs> yeah, yes. In, in short, it is. Um, so this is uh, the fantasy animation screening series that, as I said, is going to be taking place on the back end of 2019 and into 2020, where we uh, introduce uh, a fantasy animation film, we screen the film, uh, and then we invite a guest, whether this is a practitioner, an artist, an animator, an academic, um, or me or you, and we talk a little bit about the film's relationship to fantasy and animation. Yes, yeah, so it will be a um, screening of a movie. Some of them will be in 35mm, but they'll all be on the uh, Cinema Museum's fabulous old uh, projector. Um, and then we'll stick around afterwards for a chat with the audience and with our special guests. So we'll probably release some live podcasts on the back end of 2020. But if you want to come along and get and be in part of the excitement, I believe Hamilton would say the room where it happens, then you can get involved by simply going on the Cinema Museum website. So that is the cinemamuseum.org.uk. Uh, tickets are available. There's a bit more information about when doors open and when the films start, get your ticket, come along and hear us talk live in front of you about fantasy and animation. I think for six quid, that's a bit of a bargain. That's an absolute bargain. I'm going to buy two tickets and only use one. Okay, can we now record another introduction where we advertise this advertisement? I'll see you there. Oh, your point earlier about the, the film for you always felt like it was Corpse Bride. They were the, they yeah. were the centre. So the yeah. film... So, and I think we've kind of gestured to this, that the first... Um, I guess, act or first couple of acts is that setting up of this arranged marriage between, yeah. and I'm terrible with names, worse than Alex is normally, because yeah. um, I just can't remember them. And I yeah, think, I, and I, I wonder whether that's a symptom of the fact that there are so many potential, I'm like, I'm, and pairs, and, and I'm like, okay, so Victor and Victoria. So uh, Victor is um, Johnny Depp, yeah. um, and Victoria is voiced by uh, Emily Watson. Yep. And they are so two big stars, and they are uh, part of this arranged marriage. Uh, Victor goes into the woods to practice his vows, um, and and in fact, I, my favorite sequence, one of my favorite sequences of the film, is the very very first sequence, the opening sequence, where you're taken through this location, and everything's done to a rhythm. And I've taught the film with regards to animated sound mm. because everything is done through beats oh, yeah, and sound, yeah. um, and it gives a sense that this is quite a stuffy yeah. Victorian village because it's everything is kind of managed and, yeah. and is organized and there's no there's no space for um disobedient behavior no. which ultimately brings us to corpse bride but there's a sense in which this um setting is of aristocrats and snobbery is very much yeah. um graphed and, and organized and, mm. and everything is in time and that's kind of replicated in an issue of class and so forth mm. um part of that arranged marriage is um uh, I think set up then then you have him going into the woods to practice his vows and that's when he accidentally places the ring on what he thinks is a branch but ultimately is this finger of a uh, um uh, the, the eponymous uh, corpse bride and then we we're in the land of the dead now in previous podcasts we've done uh, Coco we've done Coco yeah um uh, which obviously yeah. deals with those two which I loved yeah yeah which deals with those two levels and actually I haven't really thought about it until this second that kind of matching up of of two worlds and if we're going to do a um, gratuitous Wizard of Oz reference. This is the time of you know Oz and Kansas and these two uh, a space of unruliness and topsy turviness, which is the mm -hmm. land of the dead. Um, and then Victor becomes this kind of fish out of water. Now, um, Alex, I'm going to ask you about fantasy and intrusion and quests and things like this, and because this is your thing. But um, 
we've it's talked about anime. It's got a lovely. Actually, we're talking about mirrored structures. Um, but it's got a lovely mirrored structure in the film in that you got mm. you've got this. Uh, Victor goes into the land of the living. Uh, Courtsbride comes of the, of the dead. dead. Yeah, yeah. Courtsbride comes out into the land of the living, kind of double structure. Mm. So you um, and the, with the various sort of rhetorics of fantasy, this idea of one of the key tenets of fantasy fiction is you need one outside of character to go into another space because that allows us to see the space mm. through their eyes yeah. and that works for fantasy isn't it because it means um, we can learn about the rules as they learn about the rules so we get Victor going into Land of the Living but then that kind of it's what's great about it is you get um, the courts by doing exactly the same thing in Land of the Living and that kind of makes the Land of the Living strange and makes that um, in that classic sort of Burton way, that as peculiar Absolutely. and odd and strange as the thing. And that's fed in the design, I would assume. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And actually, for the first time, just because I'd never really thought that they were, one was going into the land of the dead and one was going into the land of the living at the same time, whilst you were saying that, I literally visualised the, you know, the yin and yang sign with, the, with the dot of the, in each other's world. But um, yeah, I think there's a, a sort of a learning to how to live from the dead theme um, and... Uh, this sort of topsy-turvy theme throughout mm. and, and actually you know uh, Mike Johnson the director came into the story department one day and said could could I draw up some topsy-turvy heads yes was, yes. It, well, yeah, was the answer yes, you say no to yeah. that question yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, because if yeah. you're given these lovely creative opportunities mm. which became more frequent um, on Corpse Bride as well so in um, in Corpse Bride the theme of topsy-turvy head is there's a, a sequence where um, the Everglots are walking down the hall and sort of talking about it's this sort of song that um, is it according to plan? Yes, according to plan, which um, which is another indication that this is a stuffy. That's right, um, and that they're poor. Yeah, and that things are turning on their hair. So the the topsy turvy head that they turn upside down, I painted. So okay. so that's you, that's you're like yeah, yes, yeah I got a painting in yeah yeah, yeah great um, sort of concept art wise yeah. terrific. Are there other sort of personal touches that you're proud of in the movie that you've Yeah, there's um there, yeah, the the other sort of main one because in the story team if you can get a gag in to a film, you know, <laughs> you're sort of hailed as a, yeah. a mini champion. So uh, other than story changes which are sort of part and parcel of the course, if you can mm. actually get an actual go- joke in a gag, um it gets, right. it gets sort of pinned on this wall. But um so I, I suggested the second hand store and oh. I drew it up and uh, I took it to Mike and he said, Could you draw that up then? <laughs> to yeah. which I was like, I thought I just did. Yeah, yeah, but yes, of yeah. course, I'll go and draw it up. I'm sensing the tone. <laughs> yes, I <know. laughs> yes, yes. So, And then, of course, the second-hand store is in the, yeah, in the land of the cute. dead, which is really cool. Um, yeah. um, <laughs> well, there we go. Because yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think oh, I mean, I'm interested in, and and I guess, forgive, I forgive the deviation, but um, this thing about unruliness, that Burton himself has been considered this unruly filmmaker um, mm. uh, and eccentric and all this sorts of stuff, and that feeds into his... Uh, Animated films are often about identity and mm. that sort of topsy turvies. Um, but I mean, I think his unruliness. So Kathleen Rose written a book on on the unruly woman. But there's something, as you say, like the Corpse Bride. That's what the film is called. But the Corpse Bride seems to be the the kind of centerpiece. Um, mm. The film sets us up as having these two uh, this arranged marriage, and then she disrupts twice. One because she pulls Victor down to the land of the dead, um, and he has to experience that firsthand. And then, as you say, Alex, she then returns with him to the land of living and she's the um she's the intrusion she's the kind of fantasy moment that and, and but also that renders strange what we previously considered to be the norm and she's mm. sort of disruptive and stuff like this um and she fits the 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 
the sort of category that Kathleen Rowe sets up with regards to a taxonomy of values that surround unruliness. One is creates disorder by dominating, that she's excessive, her body's excessive in some way, mm -hmm. um, and she kind of can't control, she's androgynous, and mm -hmm. she draws attention to the construction of gender, which I think is interesting, the film is about identity. Uh, and also she's associated with dirt, liminality, um, thresholds, borders and margins and taboo, rendering her above all a figure of, figure of ambivalence. And so she fits, I think, perfectly with that. She is, she is a kind of unruly, unruly figure that disrupts, um, kind of disrupts. Why for you is she the, why, why was it for you always a film about her? Or did you feel like it was, maybe it's a difficult question or... Uh, no, no, it's um, actually, well, you know, now I'm sort of older, certainly back then I couldn't have told you why, I just felt it on a sort of a intuitive, emotional level, but right. um, maybe I connected with her the most, I don't yeah. know, it certainly felt for Victoria as well. Um, but I think now I've definitely got sort of this concept in mind, something again that I'd like to write about, but... The, the the story idea is that there's sort of man against world and man against self. So if you mm. so um, Victoria uh, Corpse Bride very much is um, man against self story. So she has to evolve and grow. She has to go on a personal journey, mm -hmm. and literally at the end she transforms. She can she's free and she but she has to change as a person. She has to go through many conflicts and change as a person yeah. and realize that she's been a bit selfish. Yeah, I mean, she was, you know, she was murdered, but she she has to sort of be selfless and yeah. therefore free herself. So she is, you know, man against self thing. But then Victor is man against world. So he is trying to change the, you know, his environment. So he has a strong pull, I suppose Victoria does, but they kind of couple together in my mind as man against world mm. storyline. Um, so, but it's... The characters are always, for me, always the ones, man against self as a storyline is always more interesting. So another example of that is in Shawshank Redemption, for instance, and you've got um, Red um, and you've got, what's the uh, white guy's name? Andy. Andy. Andy so, Dufresne. Andy Dufresne, yeah. yeah. So that's classic uh, two characters working together, man against self, man against world. So um, uh, Andy is man against world because mm. he's, you know, he's already, he doesn't need to be fixed. He's already a good guy. He's innocent. He hasn't done the murder. Um, and he just needs to get the hell out of his situation. Whereas Red has to actually grow as a person to get paroled. Yeah. And so he, you know, is constantly conflicting. And once you notice that, which I've noticed recently, mm. you know, it's like a new thing in my mind recently, mm -hmm. that you, you start noticing how much that, those, those two major story things work together in films. Yeah. So, so in case so how that's so of Courts Bride it's Courts Bride against self and Yes, because she has to change to be freed. Which put places a lot of emphasis as you saw on that redemption yes. scene or that, that redemption scene, yeah. but um, her transformation into a series of butterflies at the end of the film. Yeah. Which you said was moved or Yeah, and which I worked on really an awful lot. So that was okay. a really one of the best things I can say that I did on Corpse Bride, which was work on that transform again and again and again. So you know, and literally just concepting how is she going to turn mm. into butterflies. So uh, originally uh, I did crows swooping down and doing like a vortex around her. Yep. Um, uh, you know, originally, uh, oh God, there were so many different things I tried. And then it just became, oh, and then she was doing a moonlight dance at one point <laughs> and um, it started as a silhouette thing. Anyway, so there's many different ways. Okay. But, I mean, I've got a question actually about... Um, you working within the Burton style 
oh, yeah. I guess, because yeah. we've, we've talked about that, again, that kind of chaotic, complex process and that fluency between script and, and, and realisation and storyboard. Um, uh, did you feel like that you were working? Presumably you knew what a Tim Burton film looked like. Yeah, no, I was a massive fan. Yeah. I mean, um, the two Batmans um, and Edward Scissorhands were massive for me. Okay. There's, you know... That, that in my mind that's Tim Burton. Yeah. Um, so did you nothing feel... has ever sort of like come <laughs> up, up. Apart from Corpse Bride. Um, yeah. Well, actually, um, uh, the night before Christmas. Uh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Which I must love... have been sort of. I love that. One, un- yeah. Unavoidably in the back of a lot of people's minds. Yes. This is basically the the second the follow up. Yeah, that's right. And I think way. again, that's probably one of the reasons it sort of got funding. Okay. You know, just because if you've got such a cult hit like yeah. um the nightmare before christmas then so are you working up against or i don't know maybe this is this is either a roadblock or an avenue mm. the the tim burton style that yeah. you are you know what a tim burton film looks like feels like the tone mm. his relationship to the gothic all these sorts of things yeah. you know, his her- uh, heritage and animation that kind of thing mm. and just to sort of add for your answer to that um is, is that there's also this interesting you're talking about unruliness Obviously, the film needs to look unruly, but the process you're describing and the process as I, as I learn more about it is far from unruly. Like, no, you know. actually, it's quite chaotic. It is. Okay, it is. all right, I okay, mean, fine. I mean, you only have to talk to one, anyone from industry, really, and you sort of walk into a place and you expect it to be sort of this well-oiled machine of slick um, pipelines yeah. um, that actually get in there and you're okay. sort of going backwards more than you're going forwards sometimes. So it is unruly. So it's but less it, according to time and more topsy turvy. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And um, but you, I think you know. At first, I thought this is ridiculous. If I was the boss, um, you know, of the animation world and industry, mm. um, I would have this slick pipeline. But the more I think about it, the more you need to go back and forth like that to be creative. You know, yeah. to get those creative mm. solutions. And if you've, you know, as creatives. Um, you do go, you just generally, no. you have to make more mistakes than you do anything mm. else. Otherwise you never land on your, on your idea, the final idea sort of thing. Did you feel this, did you feel any sort of pressure as a creative team to conform to some yeah, re-established set of Burton style? You know, the, you no, know, because it, the storyboard I mean, like the... drawing Burton-esque figures or are they just drawing their own no, no, style? No, no, well, I mean, because we had the puppets, the puppets had already okay. um, sort of been established and we had um, Carlos Grangel's, um, uh, character design uh, folders or mm. bibles as they're called yeah. so you, you it's not it would have been great to work in timber and style because i would have been much happier because i'm a much messier drawer you know than, mm. than I, i'm much more related to Tim Burton's style of drawing than i do the sort of disney-esque mm. style of drawing so but the um the, the story artists do work in more disney-esque way very clean um in comparison mm-hmm. No one's scratching around on the paper like Burton is. Yeah. Um, so as for his aesthetic, um, when we're actually boarding, it's, it's not there. But um, his aesthetic uh, of idea is there, you know, like... I mean, it made, it made me think when you said about the, the gag, uh, you know, the, these aren't comedies, but they have these playful moments, yeah. and especially um, something like Corpse Bride. I appreciate that the gag itself, you said that, can you draw it up? You know, or you asked to draw it up. So did you do? Is that where you then think? Right, I need to make this. Well, yeah, exactly. Fit I somehow. think to me, you know, if I just think a quick sketch of a concept is enough. Right, right. Um, and that that will be boarded into a background at some point if it gets accepted as a gag. Um, but the director wanted a sort of clean and neater version, and it's mm. his right to ask for it. But for me, I was like, oh, okay. 
I don't know how it's going to improve the idea necessarily, but yeah, yeah sure, I'll do that. Yeah. And is that because we're yeah. all you're, you're looking for these images to give a sense of the movie, right? So uh, yeah, maybe. Is that, is that, but you're yeah. you're totally right. And if I if I think about it, if um, Tim Burton had drawn up so that the second hand store, if Tim Burton had drawn that, for instance, it would have been totally scribbly and sketchy, and no one would ever say, "Tim, could you just uh, clean that just drawing? Tidy up a bit, <laughs> just yeah. tidy that up, please." Yeah, but. Um, because it seems to me that the um, and the film obviously the film was about <coughs> oppositional power and and the world up top versus versus the world down below and it's been written about I think in relation to the um, the kind of the carnivalesque um, but I'm and obviously this is stop motion I haven't really talked about the fact that it's stop motion mm. I think what's interesting the processes that you've described we would attribute the film as a or we would give it the identity as a stop motion feature but it seems like. Obviously, draftsmanship is part of that. Like the mm. other forms of animation are part of that process. Mm. You said that when you went into your office you, or your room, you had a computer. Yes, I and you, you're working on a computer as yep. uh, you know, and, and you have to draw. So you draw yep. by hand. Yeah, draw by hand. And so it seems like all of these the stop motion isn't this isolated thing that is. Yeah, and I think when you're boarding, you don't care whether it's stop motion or unless there's sort of right, right. physical things that can't be done. So I mean, you know, if you if let's say the corpse bride is flying through the air or something if if there was a technical issue that that was actually going to cost a, you know 50,000 pounds more you'd be told perhaps to reboard that in a more you know mm. cheaper way <laughs> do you see what i mean there's yeah. always, there, there, there might be constraints that way on any film um but with stop motion there's that consideration but we didn't really you don't really think in stop motion terms you're just thinking Right. filmic terms right that's interesting i think there's a because i think a lot of writing around stop motion is that it's this i don't know how that the unruliness to the medium in and yeah. of itself and it's that kind of jerkiness mm. um but also that it labors that it has that visible energy mm. and i want and so i wonder whether that messiness whether you when you when you storyboard stuff up you have to think about okay the final medium this is going to be in it's but it seems like that's not the case that you're not I thinking in stop motion terms so. um, and filmic terms is an interesting idea absolutely because you are you you know, borders are 100% filmic. So you're thinking okay. about the mood and the shot and what it means and you've sort of got all your training in film language there with you as well as performance, as well as animation. So it's, they've really got a heavy job as well as story arcs and character arcs. They've got, you know, a lot going on, mm. especially the good ones. So for instance, um, Chris Butler right. was a, a storyboarder on Corpse Bride and he just happened to be particularly good at story, you know, um, so he sort of got the ear of Mike, you know, because he had good story story suggestions constantly, I suppose. Yeah. And of course, then he went on to like her, and he's mm. a director at Like now. Because, and it is that story, you know. Yeah. Being good at story is a step into direction, absolutely. I mean, I've got thousands of questions to ask you, so I'm but I'm going to limit it to one, uh, and that's about color, because uh, uh, yeah. obviously the film itself is yeah. is a black and white film uh, with a bit of blue in I think in places and grey anyway. Yeah. What point? At what point does the color get introduced? Because presumably the the animatics and the storyboards are all black and white. They're all they're all black and white. Oh, well, actually, which yeah. a film like this actually kind of doesn't matter because yeah. you're drawing it in a way that it's kind of going to look quite similar to the original. I just yeah. wondered if you at what point color is introduced. I don't know. I'm just I have lots of questions. Is about... it would be in the concept art? So okay. you have several concept artists working on the film. So on that one, you had Chris Baker, Neil Ross. Alex, someone who's really famous, I can't say. <laughs> um, so they did, you know, loads and loads of concept work for that, and then that's where the main design work comes off of, um, and and yeah. that might detect 
so then that goes to the art department and then the head of art, um, Nelson Lowry, he would literally work in Pantone colours as to, you know, if you've got a bit of concept art and a storyboard, so he might have a bit of concept art there and a storyboard here. So he's trying to sort of figure out, that's the art, the head of art department's yeah. job, you know, one of his many jobs, is to try and figure out really what colour is that and for everyone right. to stick to that colour. So so we know the colours roughly when we're storyboarding, or mm-hmm. um, but we never drawing colour really. Yeah. Well, we didn't on Corpse Bride, it was yeah. all pencil on paper. Now storyboarding is much more sophisticated and right, with right. computers um, and even some previous, you know, going on in a lot of animated movies and live action movies, pre-visualisation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, 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 I've heard of that. Yeah, we've had that. Okay, so that yeah, one. pre-visualization yeah. is just yeah. basically 3D storyboarding so, right. and is really useful, especially on sort of action movies where you've got big camera moves so you can whack a camera around yeah. in a scene. Because you're being a direct... I th- I, I, this thing about storyboarding is that you are <laughs> choosing to do a close-up there, maybe, or choosing Absolutely. to do a... And so you are the camera's eye, you are the director of... The, you know, you're thinking in directorial terms. Absolutely, um, yeah. And then you take that hat off and do something else, and it's you are you are in the process, the unruly process, and a film about unruly identity is being manifest in you as somebody who who have this kind of yeah. you know have the you have to have this these split personalities really to to have all these hats on in particular yeah. storyboarding it seems yeah no I totally agree I do I do but um the whole sort of idea of embodiment yeah uh, uh, and you know like from doing the voiceover of um. Victoria to doing, of course, uh, yeah, 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 to to sort of figuring out how uh, Corpse Bride is going to transform to suggesting that actually Corpse Bride would cry in this scene because it's emotion, you know, yeah, yeah. Why wouldn't she? You're really sort of in this situation where you are embodying character and story all the time on a daily basis. Mm. And then I even I've sort of written about that sort of you. Even at the parties we went to, you know, some of the parties you dress up, you're sort of yeah. fancy dress because you're with loads of creatives. So the parties that, that we had that you go to are sort of fancy dress parties. So there's this constant embodiment. Well, I was going to ask a question about sort of uh, gothic horror and, and the grotesque and things because um, one, I was thinking about it when I was watching the movie anyway, but also when you're talking about Ambulius and things, uh, there's a sudden sort of Jane Eyre-esque kind of gothic horror thing going on here and the mm. corpse bride is the mad woman in the attic. She's, yeah, that's such a good um, And she, you know, the story is, what, what, you know, it's why Sagasso see it's, it's, it's that, it's, you know, it, it's the unruly woman of, of grotesqueness that comes into Victorian and shakes everything up and there's all this kind of interesting stuff going on there. So, um, uh, so I, I guess what I'm interested in, it was, was sort of that and design and living the character. I don't know if you had any thoughts on this, but like, it's such a funny thing, the grotesque, and it's been theorised. It's a very tricky thing because usually what the grotesque is trying to do is problematize the normal and, and to make the normal strange. And there's something very politically useful and radical about doing that. Um, and, of course, a lot of um, the movie is about outsiders and celebrating outsiders yeah. and, and, and critiquing the staleness and the, and the ordinary. Mm. But the way it can do that, grotesqueness and... It's an invitation to what we want to talk about in terms of corpse bride. But, you know, for example, um, Victor's parents are both incredibly thin and incredibly fat. Yes. Um, and that's the way it, it, yeah. it, it, it destabilises normalcy. But by doing that, you can argue, plays on some other issues that are, you know, yeah. not championing outsideness in, in other respects. And um, I, I tried to talk about Bojangles at one point and all that kind yeah. of stuff. There's some yeah. interesting <laughs> thing going on with the grotesque and all that. That's a lot of 
random thoughts that weren't a question. So I guess the question is the corpse bride and, and, and all this and how it feeds into but the I, process. I'm with you. I think the land of the living is, is grotesque in comparison to the land of the dead. Yes. So I think audience-wise they can relate to the land of the dead because they're just kind of fun, normal people who are willing to have a laugh and, mm. okay, yeah, they're sort of physically... And it's colourful as well. It's colourful. It's like really colourful. A bit, that a bit that bone jangle story of... Yeah. Uh, of course, bodies was like what a wonderful really sequence. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's and it's a great storytelling song because it it literally was how can we get um, her story told? You know of how she was mm. murdered. So mm. in comes Bojangles. Mm. Here's the story, folks. You know. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we talk about. I talk about when I teach. I talk a lot about um, character and song and how you can shortcut a lot yeah. with a throw a song in. Tell the story, or well, it can, and it can it, do the work of the animation. Absolutely, you, can, it can, you uh, don't have to animate the, uh, uh, a flashback or a, no, that's you have it. it articulated. To that's that. it. You just got to listen to the lyrics. Yeah. And are there any challenges of living these characters, embodying these characters, when you've got this particular, this draw me, you know, labour is always an interesting question. I think I have labour. I need fifty images of the same person drawn by tomorrow. Uh, it must be hard to have such an intense relationship with characters when they become a job to draw and redraw and redraw. And <laughs> yeah, I think, stuff. and I think certainly they call it staying on character. So if you, so whether it's 2D animation or boarding, you have to stay on character is the idea. So you, you're, who you're drawing is supposed to look like who you're drawing and you're not really supposed to deviate. Um, so yeah, staying on character, you have to really embody all the shapes of the character, really know fundamentally how it's built not not just emotionally because you're storyboarding it, but physically because you're drawing it in multitudes daily. I, I mean, I had a couple of, I suppose we can kind of come out the other side of Corpse Bride because you've mentioned obviously that you are, uh, when you write about stuff and, and that you're teaching and this is yeah. obviously what you do now. I wondered whether, given your focus now on character animation and stuff, whether mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons why you've retrospectively thought maybe that Corpse Bride is the same, because now you're more interested in character and character development. Yeah, yeah, whether yeah. That, whether that, the fact that you teach in those areas has made you Absolutely, really I think your when you're teaching, uh, certainly when I arrived at Wolverhampton 11 years ago, you know, you sort of have specialist areas that you teach in, uh, and when I arrived at Wolverhampton, those areas were already being taught by a lecturer. So um, you go, okay, I need to, you know, how can I sort of teach other things? Which makes you fall in love with things and so yeah character animation and performance I 100% love and I teach it in 3D mostly um, because it's a really sort of quick route to getting an yeah. end result um, and story and script and character design so in in the character design module um, we write a character from scratch and mm -hmm. the rule is how do you make an entertaining but believable character and students often make believable characters it's really easy to make a believable character but it's not entertaining or vice versa, they make an entertaining character, but it's totally not believable. So it's that combination of the two yeah. is, is the sort of sweet spot. Um, so yeah, you, as, as the years have gone by, I've sort of become more interested in other areas. But as for what I like to teach, they're the three main things I yeah. like to teach. So I, I suppose looking back then on, on Corpse Bride, because um, uh, it sort of stands alone, obviously, is the, mm. the film that you worked on. And while you're not in working in animation in that way you kind of teach it and think mm. about the same kinds of questions presumably yeah. um, and present that to your students and get them thinking about absolutely yeah I mean uh, and that sort of keeps you alive as a lecturer especially if you've come from a creative background and yeah. um, you've stopped being because I teach full-time so I have I'm, I'm not as creative as I used to be but now my creativity is helping students with their ideas but also 
sort of finding things fascinating with the industry around us and then feeding that back into them and then getting their response back. So yeah. it's lovely. I mean, I've got one, one final question, which is how do you remember Corpse Bride? At first, I was really flattered to work on Corpse Bride yeah. and I was really young. So I probably should have been more grateful at the time. And certainly now in my 40s, I realised what an opportunity I had. But because the way the way the beast works is that you're there for very long hours a day and you socialise with the people there. Yeah. So after just over two years of being there, I, I think I was just a bit exhausted with the whole thing. And I so just, how long the production? No, that no, was... that was just how long I was on there. Oh, so wow. no, it carried yeah, it was it started before me, like in a, in LA. And then I did two years in the UK and then of course it carried on and had to be finished and animated and edited. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a beast of a machine. Uh, so it's about five years, I think. Wow. Uh, or more. Anyway, so I think I left there a bit tired and a bit fed up with the film industry in general, thinking, right, that's it, I'm done. Yeah. Um, and then I started my own business in something else. Um, but now I realise, actually, you know, and I, I worked on some, as an animator on some other bits and bobs, but, um, yeah. Yeah. And but the people were amazing. I yeah, have to yeah. say, the people I worked with, you know, I certainly remember fondly. And uh, and when if you watch the film, if I don't know if when you watch the film, what do you feel watching it? You just you just wait for your uh, your joke, to, your uh, your second yeah. shop to pop up, or do yeah, you? Yeah, the toxic derby head. Oh no, yeah. well, actually, last time I watched. Oh yeah, of course you'll. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, 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 and now I sort of read more meaning into it than I ever used to. So certainly when. So at the, the opening shot, for instance, where Victor lets the butterfly out. Yeah. I'm like, oh, of course. I don't. I don't know why. When I was actually working on the film, I was like, I never realised how much that ties into the end of the film. You know, yeah. the releasing of the butterfly. Yeah. And I, of course, it's such an obvious thing, mm. but it's these things in hindsight. But yeah, I, I wouldn't say I I love the film, but there's some aspects yeah. that I love. I love Corpus Bride. I love the character. Yeah. And I love I love Victoria as a character. Well, on that theme of release, I think we should. We, should release. we will let you out of the window. Yeah. It's not literally. Um, so, I mean, Emily, you're, people want to, to find you. Are you are on social media? Are you Obviously, you have a web page as part of your job. Um, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. so I've got a web page for my work, but I've also got a website, which is emilymantel.com. Excellent. Simple enough. It was so simple, but I almost forgot it. <laughs> Uh, okay. So people can I find need, you there. Now, now I'm going to need to make it good. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. You got you. It's May. You've got until October. <laughs> uh, you've got until Halloween. Um, but yeah, great. Thank you so much for thank joining you. us Thanks on, the, for on the podcast, me. Alex. Thank you for putting up with me for another week. Yeah. Thank yeah. you very much. Um, thanks very much. It was great to talk to you. And happy Halloween, everybody. Yeah, happy yeah. Halloween. Bye. 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 Bye.